everyone. Uh, we're doing something new today, and that is we are asking for your support. Um, if you've enjoyed the content of Endurance Innovation, if you have found it useful in any way, so far, all we've asked you to do is rate and review us on your preferred podcast listening platform. But today's a little bit different. We're asking for a more tangible uh, offer of support, and that is, of course, financial. Uh, in the show notes, you will find a link to our support page. It is incredibly easy to set up. It's not uh, anything where you have to fill in a ton of fields. You can do it with just a couple minutes of your time. And uh, we would really appreciate your help. Yeah, and it's not something that we need to uh, make a living off of. We're just looking to cover the hosting fees and just little incidentals like that. So if you if you do enjoy it, we would appreciate any support. Well, hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to Endurance Innovation. I am here today with Andrew and Michael. I am their guest, Dianor, CEO of Ventum. I am so excited to be on the show. We have a great show for you today. Michael, Andrew, what would you guys like to talk about? <laughs> Before we launch in, I want to say thank you for that intro because uh, <laughs> I think we're well overdue for one. And uh, you taking over our podcast to do the introduction has been kind of the highlight of my morning so far. So thank you very much for agreeing to come on and uh, kicking things off like that. Oh, it is my pleasure. I should also say this is brought to you by Ventum. I just figured out. <laughs> oh, that was sneaky. <laughs> right, right. Hey, first minute, first plug. More to come. <laughs> I love it. That's something we can we can talk about that off the air. But <laughs> oh, guys, no, thank you for having me. I'm actually really excited to, to talk with you guys. It's it's been a while since I've seen you both, uh, Andrew. It's been yeah, maybe Kona a couple of Konas ago, maybe. Yeah, I think last Kona was Kona. last time we saw each other. Um, yeah. It was when I when I picked up my bike there. Um, That's so, right. <laughs> so I think there's it's no secret to anyone listening that uh, that I'm a big fan of you guys. So uh, maybe people won't see it as an unbiased opinion, but uh, but it is my opinion nonetheless. So um, so now I've got well for full disclosure, I've got uh, the the Ventum one that I've been riding for a couple of years, and I picked up the NS one last year, and. Definitely in love with both bikes. I think they're hugely innovative, which is something that, uh, you know, it's the main reason we wanted to talk to you. So, um, so first of all, thank you for making incredible bikes. And oh. secondly, uh, as Michael said, thanks for joining us today. Oh, I appreciate it. Which one do you uh, ride more, you think? The NS1 or the 1? I can tell you I ride the 1 for longer periods of time um, <laughs> because as an Ironman racer, it's, uh, you know, you're stuck on there for a while. So, um, but I think overall, uh, I, I split between the two. It's nice to mix it up because then nice. it's, uh, the, the fit is, you know, it's slightly different between a road bike and a tri bike. So it kind of yeah. gives you that extra little training stimulus that, uh, that mixes it up for your, your legs and your core a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, you know, we're, it's no secret. We moved to Utah, um, several months ago and honestly, it's just so hilly and I just love the NS1 so much. I have predominantly been on the NS1 since I've been here. So you're uh, saying Florida isn't that hilly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So Florida, our only hill in Florida was the Rickenback Bridge. It was literally a bridge that people would go and do hill repeats on. So um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would say we've had an upgrade. Awesome. Yeah. And how's the weather in Utah? Is it uh, it's not actually as warm? Quite, well, you know what? I'm not I, assuming I, I, it anyway. Well, here's the thing. I'm a city boy and I'm a beach boy. So I lived in South Beach and that is my natural habitat. Hot, humid, <laughs> flat. I love it. And then when I moved here, I luckily I moved into in the, in the summer. And you know, the elevation obviously got to me a little bit because we're sitting at 6,000 feet. Um, then the lack of humidity, the dryness also really got to me. And of course, all the mountains. And I'm not in the city. I am in in the country, literally. We're in a place called Heber City, which I'm actually completely in love with, but it's very, very different than South Beach. Um, but I adapted really well. Um, I would say had I come into the winter, which I've now actually learned to love because I'm, I'm learning how to ski, I'm learning how to ski tour, I'm learning how to snowboard, and we have All snowmobiles. Right. Like So like I'm really embracing and adopting the mountain life. But I think the transition happening in the summer really <laughs> eased me into it. <laughs> Uh, but it's just been great. You know, it's, I also think it just doesn't take much for me to be happy. 
Um, I just need good trails, good roads, a good sushi place and a good coffee shop. Um, and you know, this place has it all. It really does. So I, I'm actually really, really happy to be in Utah and the state has welcomed us in, with such open arms. The city has welcomed us also with such open arms. So, uh, zero regrets, um, whatsoever. Have you thought about moonlighting as a motivational speaker, Dia? Because I think, in the, especially in, in what's happening right now, I think we could uh, we could we could listen to more voices like yours rather than you know kind of the the doom and gloom coming out of most you know, other mouths at the moment. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I have been told I'm annoyingly positive, <laughs> so be careful with, with what you say. Like, yeah, by the by the end of these sixty minutes, I'm going to be telling you to shut up. And, exactly. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'd, I'd give you twenty, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, like, yeah, no, you know, but talking about these difficult times, what you just described, right, is like, it's an awful situation. It's an unthinkable, impossible situation that we're in. And yeah, we can choose to complain and and be negative about it, or we can choose to not be and be positive. And that's obviously I, I chose the latter. And, you know, I've been trying to do a lot of, I don't know if you guys follow me on social media, but we've been doing a lot of challenges to try to get people motivated to ride and run yep. and stay healthy. Yep. Um, and honestly, I'm, we're faring better than most, right? I mean, we're lucky. Again, we're not in the city anymore. Our life isn't that impacted. Sure, the restaurants are closed and the bars and nightlife is closed. Retail is closed. But other than that, I mean, there was... We were always allowed to run outside. We were always allowed to bike outside. We were always allowed to do all these things, hike, uh, mountain bike. So, you know, this area wasn't as impacted as, say, like New York City or, or sure. Miami. Um, and in turn, maybe we should start talking about bikes. But same thing with our business, right? Um, uh, we did a lot better than most. So first of all, as you guys know, we're a direct consumer. Mm -hmm. So we never shut down. We were able to fulfill orders we were able to keep operations going. Um, and then anybody that we deemed non-essential, which is people that are building bikes or fulfilling bikes, uh, just worked from home. You know, And in fact, you guys probably know Rachel Blackman. She's our director of strategic partnership. Mm -hmm. She actually moved into my house and has been here for two months. And it's been great. So it's been kind of business as usual for us. Um, you know, of course, did we, did we take a revenue hit? Absolutely. Is it nearly as bad as competitors absolutely not so mm -hmm. again the fact that we're direct to consumer that people could still order bikes from us uh you know was um, was very beneficial to us so you know uh, this is yeah i have to count our blessings that we are in such a better place and we were very lucky um both because of the geography or the state that we're in um and you know the fact that we're direct to consumer has allowed us to keep our operations going I think there's a couple neat things you said there. Um, one of them being that you, you know, you personally choose to be happy. That's such an important point because a lot of people choose to latch on to the, the really negative stuff going on right now. And, uh, and you're kind of doing the opposite and you're saying, Hey, you know, don't get down on it. Just, uh, focus on the good, focus on what we have and do your best to, to power through. And I think that's, that's pretty good advice. Well, thanks, Adrian. I'll tell you something else too, is, is I am actually, I've got so many faults, but one of the things I actually kind of like about myself is I'm able to differentiate between what is in my power and what is out of my power, right? And this pandemic is not within my power. I cannot control it, right? So for example, if sales were down because we dropped the ball in marketing or in our sales strategy or whatnot, I get very upset and I get very emotional and, 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 and it hits me hard. But something like this, where it's outside of my control, there's nothing myself or my team could have done, I can just handle so much better. So what do I do? I just do what I can control, right? This is the longest stretch of time since I, since I found Inventum that I haven't traveled. Um, and so where's the silver lining in that? I mean, it's the first time I'm able to eat healthy, first time I'm able to consistently work out. Um, I am like seven pounds away from my race weight. I lost 30 pounds during this pandemic. Uh, wow. So, so, but these are things I can control, right? And those in turn are things that make me happy, right? Fitting into my old clothes again. Because one of the things that really that I struggled with when I found Inventum was my, my weight gain, right? I mean, when you're a startup, as you guys know very well, uh, you know, you're wearing every single hat <laughs> at the company and you're working, you know, 
I don't know, 16 to 18 hour days, working out is the first thing that goes. Healthy eating is the second thing that goes. And the LBs or kilos, as you like to call them, uh, just start accumulating. <laughs> thank you, thank you for Canadianifying. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, anytime, eh? So, um, you know, it's just, okay. it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's something that you can control. It's something that you can do to make yourself better during a time that is extremely difficult. And, and in turn, that makes you happy. So, you know, and I'm not saying I don't have to fake it sometimes. I do. I do. I mean, I, I have down days just like anybody else, right? Uh, but it's a choice. It is a choice. So, anyways. All right. Enough Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I think um, uh, we, yeah, I think the next logical place to go, Dia, would be to give folks a little bit of context and history about the brand, about what you guys are all about. I think uh, given your presence in, uh, in uh, Ironman triathlon, a lot of people obviously are familiar with the brand and the high profile folks that you have riding your bikes. But uh, for those who may not be as in depth familiar, give us a little bit of a history, please. Yeah, absolutely. So Ventum was, was founded in a in very interesting way. So let me take you back. Let's go to May 2014. So I used to not be in this field whatsoever. I was not in the sports industry. Um, I was in IT and telecom. And I had a company that offered those services. We worked primarily with the State Department and a couple of different foreign entities. Okay. And in May of 2014, I sold the company. And then, and, you know, and it was the same thing. It was a startup. It was seven years old. Sold it. And I decided that my next venture was going to be in endurance sports. At the time, my brother was a professional triathlete. At the time, my girlfriend was a professional triathlete. Um, and so it was natural that I was going to go look at an opportunity in triathlon. And I actually started looking at just kind of maybe being a, a race organizer, right? And start a mm-hmm. race series. That I never really thought I was going to be on the product side of things. And then that summer, uh, we were in Boulder. And Jimmy Sear, the co-founder of this company, came up to me and said, hey, I want to show you something that my father and a group of aerodynamicists and engineers have been working on uh, in Australia for the past couple of years. And essentially, it was the early, 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 early prototype of what is now known as a Ventum 1. Hmm. And he started describing to me the, the benefits, both aerodynamically, on the road, integrated hydration, and we can go on in, you know, in detail in a minute. But... He showed me really, and, and because I was so familiar with the space, given you know my close relationships with, with people in the space, like, I, I could see there was something there. There was a gem there, right? And, and I would say that it was right at the time where critical mass had most definitely been achieved in the sports of triathlon. What do I mean by that? Like 20 years ago, there was no critical mass. Um, it's kind of like what marathons were 40 years ago. So what would happen in that situation, because there's no critical mass, you're not going to create a product that is specifically for that sport. And as you guys know, it was like UCI legal frames, you slap on a TT front end and call it a triathlon bike. (laughs) Uh, and, and, And we came right on that curve when people really started looking at triathlon as its standalone sport. And, you know, another example I like to use is because I come from the telecom world is landlines versus cell phones. Landlines, Verizon, billions of dollars invested in infrastructure. You got to recoup that, right? So Mm -hmm. the big boys, millions and millions of dollars in in R&D as well as in in mold costs on UCI legal frames. You've got to recoup that before you can move into any innovation, right? Meanwhile, a cell phone company came up, put a tower here, put a tower there. And hey, guess what? You can not only talk, you can walk and talk. So it's a better product. So they, you know, we came in with no legacy systems, right? We came in with no capex that that we needed to recoup. So we right. really could sit there from the beginning and say, how can we make the fastest triathlon bike we possibly can? And that's how it all started, right? With with you know with uh, in the wind tunnel with you know, obviously computer models before that, and we sat there and and that to my knowledge, is one of the you know, first times a company would ever do that, specifically when it comes to non-traditional bike frames, which is what you know, they like to call us. And I also believe that you know, a rising tide floats all boats. And you know, look at today, right? Look how many non-traditional 
uh, bike frames we have even, you know, made from some of the bigger boys. So it's exciting to see, but that's kind of, you know, when that whole, you know, hopefully I give you a bit of color of what was happening in 2014. So then Jimmy, going back to Jimmy Sear, you know, and, and I, I wish I could do the Australian accent, but I can't, <laughs> but he's like, you know, he's like, Hey mate, you know, we're going to make 30 of these and we're going to uh, give them to our friends, you know, and, <laughs> uh, and, and they're going to be able to ride them. And I was like, no, 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 Jimmy, listen, obviously you guys have the tech and the engineering down. I have the startup side of the, you know, of a business down. This is a perfect marriage. There's very little overlap. Why don't we take this and like really like bring it to market? And that's how Ventum originally started. And so, yeah. Um, fast forward another year. Uh, Q4 of 2015 is when we started a pre-sale and delivered uh, the first what you guys know as uh, Ventum once today. That's pretty quick, actually, for like full development and, and manufacture for something well, as complex as a bike. Absolutely, but you have to remember, I came into the, the process, uh, you know, not in the beginning. It was well underway. They had been okay. I, by the time we actually got Ventum up and running, like a, as an entity, they were already on. I came in on the fifth iteration of the Ventum one. Uh, and then I think we had another three or four iterations, uh, after I got on board. So, yeah. So, yeah. So I think the first model took us a good four years, uh, to get out. Now, obviously it was the first model, a lot of lessons learned and, you know, we can cut that down at uh, about two years now, which is quite nice. Can you talk about the name? Because as, uh, as you know, Ender and I run the Endurance Innovation podcast and then Endurance Innovation is, uh, coming up with some other ideas. Yeah. But our our name is very kind of you know on the nose. Where yeah. where did you guys get Ventum? So that's that's a good question, and, and uh, you know that's where I guess a lot of our background comes from, from like marketing and startup and business and whatnot. But we we started toying out with a whole bunch of ideas. But Ventum was eventually selected, and let me tell you what Ventum means. Ventum means wind in Latin, uh-huh. and since we're all about cheating the wind and aerodynamics. Uh, it just felt like a good, powerful name for the brand, um, you know. And there were, you know, there were a couple of contenders here and there, but that's where that's where the name comes from. It it actually means wind in Latin. So, so one of the most useful purposes for Latin that I've heard recently is naming companies. <laughs> yes, uh, really. <laughs> so there was another uh, another um, uh, developer that we talked to. He um, he. Well, he designs and develops wheels and uh, and frames of Velocite bikes. Uh, so that's again another Latin word for speed, I believe, is what he said. Um, oh no way! Yeah, it makes for a cool retro kind of feel, but also something a little bit out of left field. Um, so I, I do like the Latin uh, terminology, but again, how many other times are you going to see Latin used in any kind of modern context? Exactly. No, it's definitely you're right. You're right. So, but yeah, no, it worked out really, really well. And you know, and and, and I think it's got something like it's close to venom, right? So it does sound a little aggressive as well. Like it just it rang really, um, just it sounds good. It rings well. So, uh, and again, like I think we had like a hundred names to go through, and and that's when honestly uh, having a lot of of, uh, of chefs in the kitchen is good, right? This is where we really leaned on as you know, cast as wide as a net as possible and got as many people to weigh in uh, as possible. Don't want to do that with other things like engineering, but because <laughs> <when it> <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that, that you'll never come out with anything. If that's the case. So do you guys ever struggle with that? The engineering side versus the business side? Uh, business side definitely is more of a struggle for me. It's less familiar for me. Um, engineering is, um, the way I see it is pretty cut and dried where, yeah, there's creative ideas that go into something, but you can quantitatively prove this is better, this is worse. Right. Um, but with business, it's not about the, the quantitative answers. It's all subjective. What about the relationship between engineering and, and business? And let me, let me maybe clarify that a little bit. If it was up to the engineers, it would take us 27 years to get a bike out, right? Because engineers always want to perfect it even more. But now I can do this and now I can do it. And then on the business side, you got to draw a line, right? And say, hey, this is the this is where we're going to launch, right? And so it's it's that's been an interesting uh, you know, a challenge that we've had between engineering and business where obviously business wants to bring out things as fast as possible and engineering wants it to be perfect. But 
I don't think there is such a thing. So, there's but. there's a good saying actually that um, one of the the stat co-founders Art Hare brought to my attention, but um, it it goes, "Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good." Um, right, I love that. You can spend so long trying to perfect something, and by the time you've got it, the market has completely passed you by, and the opportunity is completely gone. So sometimes you just need to pull the trigger and and say, "Yes, this this will be, this will serve the purpose it needs to serve. It may not be ideal for what we." had envisioned, but, uh, it, it gets everything out there that we need to. I, I love it. I th- I'm going to steal that, that, uh, little saying, I'd also say this, I think perfect for an engineer and perfect for, uh, uh on the business side are very different. Does that make sense? <laughs> totally. so, yeah, so. so speaking of, of perfect engineering or, uh, or very good engineering, um, what are some of the, the technical technological innovations that you guys have brought forward? Well, on the Ventum One specifically, obviously, we focused on aerodynamics, right? Aerodynamics was key. That was the first thing, and I'll I'll get into it in, in just a minute. The second thing was real world testing. So I know you're like, wait, Dia, you just said that aerodynamics are are the most important factor in this bike, and it is. But notice, I didn't say wind tunnel. Right? I said aerodynamics and real-world testing. Although we probably spent more time in the wind tunnel on the Ventum 1 than most brands, we didn't take the data from you know, the wind tunnel and made it our gospel. And, and so let me, let me go back and, and talk a little bit about the advantage that we have. So obviously, you've noticed the lack of a down tube. right? And the down tube, a lot of our cues come from Formula 1 um, because they have mastered angles as it could you know as it relates to the wind and, and aerodynamics so the down tube is actually one of the worst um tubes aerodynamically specifically when it comes to crosswinds uh, there's actually a really famous photo and i wish i could find it of uh, leander cave maybe like three years ago four years ago she's on her ventum one and she's in her drops in kona and there's a massive crosswind and she was in a pack of like six or seven girls and all the other competitors are on their, you know, on their hoods, trying to maintain stability, and she's in her drops as smooth as anything. Um, and so that's really one of the lack of the down tube. So obviously, we can look at that in the wind tunnel. But there's another benefit that of not having a down tube that you can't see in the wind tunnel, which is the relationship between the trailing edge of your front tire and the leading edge of your down tube. What do I mean by that? As you guys know, you never ride completely straight. You're always making micro adjustments. On a traditional bike, when you're making micro adjustments, right, that means your down tube is getting exposed back and forth as you make those adjustments. Your down tube is getting exposed, creating drag. Now, you throw any traditional bike in the wind tunnel, as you guys both know, you're locking both the front and rear wheels through the axles, right? Right. So then that that you will never see in a wind tunnel because it doesn't it doesn't show you what real life testing is, which is nobody rides in a perfectly straight line at all times, you know, specifically also, especially when there's wind, which pretty much always there's wind. So that's something you're not gonna see in the wind tunnel, but you will see in the real life. So so you know you have to balance the data that you're gathering and and, and apply it to the real world. So that's you know that, that's one of the advantages. Obviously, another advantage is our 1.4 liter integrated water bottle of the top tube. We are still till this day the only triathlon company in the world that's faster with hydration on than off. Right. Hmm. So if you could do an Ironman without drinking, more power to you. But just leave the bottle <laughs> empty on on the top tube because it's more aerodynamic. Um, everybody else, as you guys know, bottles and bottle cages create drag. Uh, you know, the new Shiv, they're saying that it's drag neutral, uh, which, you know, could be. But we are just a step further than that. We are actually faster with a bottle on versus off. And that came from um, the F-16 fighter jets at the Australian Air Force, right? So the idea is they have removable fuel tanks. And when the fuel tanks are on the plane, the plane is more aerodynamic. So that's where that came from. Hmm. So, so I mean, these are a couple of innovations. Obviously, we're also doing a, a lot of stuff on the manufacturing side. Um, and what I mean by that is we are using a manufacturing technique that 
pretty much doubles the cost of a frame. However, it allows the frame to be stronger, stiffer. Uh, we can use less carbon, and it's very, very smooth. So one of the things that we do is we use something called EPS. And you mm-hmm. know, I'll try to keep it as, as simple as I can. EPS is a foam. It's a hard foam that is essentially the shape of the bike. And the carbon gets wrapped around this hard foam. So all of a sudden, it looks like the bike. You put that in an outer mold. You heat it. And when EPS gets heated, it, it exerts enormous force against the outer mold. So if you cut a Ventum 1 in half or an NS1 in half, it's just as smooth on the inside as it is on the outside. So again, it, so you have less delamination over time. You are stiffer and it makes mechanics life you know, so much easier because routing cables now is very easy. You don't have any obstructions. You know, the, the more traditional way of making bikes would be through bladders. So you wrap carbon around a plastic bag and then you put hot air through the plastic bag, which right. doesn't exert as much force against the outer mold. And that's why you get all sorts of uh, you know, shards in there, blockages. And also you'll find areas that are just you know, not as stiff as other areas. And all of a sudden you'll feel the bike is a little bit more sluggish. Uh, if you're just performing a certain thing like standing up on a climb or whatnot. And that's that's really where the manufacturing technique uh, comes in. So, yeah. So those are a few of the innovations that, that we've done. And obviously, there's a lot, lot more. Um, but uh, try not to bore everybody to death. So... <laughs> well, actually, going back to um, to the, the mention of Velocite, um, when we talked to Victor Major, he was talking about some pretty novel uh, carbon manufacturing techniques. So it sounds like you're, I mean, it's a different technique. He was looking at uh, filament winding. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know that's what Jimmy's doing now. I don't know if you know that or not. No, I, I didn't. I knew he was kind of working on something else, but uh, yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't aware that was it. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt you, but I'll tell you real quick. And I don't even know how much of this is public or private, but who cares? But Jim, <laughs> uh, you know, Jimmy um, moved on a few years ago, maybe two years ago, and um, started doing film and winded uh, wheels here in Utah. And they're doing amazing stuff. I mean, you, that's another person you should probably have on the podcast because uh, yeah. it's uh, it's incredible and it's it's so innovative. And that's Jimmy, you know what I mean? And and here here comes the you know. And we'll ask him to do a dia a dia accent when he comes on. <laughs> yeah. There. Oh boy. Oh well. Let's see if it's better than my Australian <laughs> accent. No, I mean, look, Jimmy is an innovator, right? And 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 I think um, he is in the perfect place to do that. Um, I think, and when you take a creative person and you put them in like the daily grind of a startup, you're completely stunting their creativity, right? They need to be out there, create and move on. And and, and I'm not just saying that about Jimmy. I would say that about any person who's such an innovator. It, it you know, I can't innovate. I, you know, you guys know I'm on the business side of this, and I, it would be foolish of me to say. I mean, I have some ideas, but I, I can't do what Jimmy does. And likewise, Jimmy can't do what I do, right? And so we had to put ourselves in places to both excel. Um, and, and having Jimmy in the day-to-day grind stunted his creativity, right? So, um, yeah, that's, so that's how you know, that project came about. And I'm sure there will be many more projects that Jimmy will, will, will tackle. Uh, but, you know, we're still best friends and we see each other a lot and we hang out. And so it's uh, – yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not uncommon, by the way. I mean, obviously, you guys probably know this. It's very, it's pretty normal stuff uh, where a co-founder wants to go and, you know, create and the other one wants to uh, kind of grind it out. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And backing up what you said there, um, every time I've spoken to Jimmy, um, I learned something new and he's always got such an interesting perspective on things. So incredibly innovative guy, very insightful to talk to. So I always enjoy oh. the, the experience. And his accent too. <laughs> He's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. And he has this ability, which very few people in the world have. He has this ability to take a very complex subject matter and simplify it so that I can digest it or anybody who has zero experience in that field can understand it very, very well. And, and in addition, I mean, I didn't know how to build a triathlon bike, right? Jimmy is probably the best instructor I've ever met. Again, taking something that's pretty complex, breaking it down so that, you know, after the first week, 
of building because I did build bikes early on. Uh, I just, you know, I, I knew everything and I understood it. He's very, he's, he's a great teacher. He's a great, fantastic teacher. So cool. So how did you move from a, a very purpose-built triathlon, a weapon of a bike to the, uh, the road bike that you guys have now, which is, you know, I don't want to say it's traditional because you'll, you'll tell me in all the ways that it's not <laughs> traditional, but it's, I, I think, I think it's a safe argument to make that it's more traditional compared to what's on the market currently. Um, when compared with the, uh, the Ventum one. So how did you make that leap? Well, we always knew that we were going to be a, let's call it a, we'll have a full line of bicycles, right? And we, okay. we never intended to just be a triathlon, uh, bike manufacturer. We wanted to go into the other bigger markets. That being said, we just, we knew triathlon so well and we had all our connections and we realized that if we can make it in a saturated niche market, which triathlon is, um, then we can make it into the bigger markets. So we wanted to start with triathlon. So, but the intention was always to go to road and then gravel and then more to come. So, <laughs> you know, but our, our sandbox was very, very limited. You know, it was, it was a lot smaller. And so in some ways, it was a lot harder to create the NS1 than the Ventum 1 because of the UCI. We had to have a UCI legal frame, right? So if you, you know, we, that means certain angles, certain shapes, certain sizes, and so how do you differentiate yourself when you are bound by some of these rules? And the way we did it was uh, manufacturing. So it's a similar um, manufacturing techniques as the Ventum One, with a couple different, a uh, couple extra additions. One of which is we use graphene, and the reason we use graphene is to lighten up the frame because what we wanted to accomplish is destroy the notion of n plus one we wanted to show Hmm. we wanted to create an all-around bike that was both lightweight and aerodynamic and and we succeeded in that right so the aerodynamics as you can see it's on the front it's completely seamless there's not a single cable showing um and then again the frame is very very light in fact our smallest sizes are uci illegal but because the uci measures uh them with pedals and bottle cages once you put those on they actually go over the limit and so they become uci legal so we definitely achieved the weight we definitely achieved the aerodynamics that we wanted to do but that's how we wanted to differentiate ourselves in in you know in a in a vertical that's actually really hard to differentiate because of the uci so um so that's kind of what we did there and honestly i just it's really interesting to see what we learned from making the Ventum one to making the NS one. Uh, we learned so much that in some sense, although it was harder to design, it was much easier to, um, to produce. Uh, we had so much good knowledge on the production side. So that was great. And then we're going to take that technology and move it forward to, uh, our, uh, next model, which you might want to ask me about. <laughs> yeah, we well, wanted yeah. you to bring it up so that uh, yeah. so that we weren't uh, you know putting you on the spot and asking you about something you you weren't prepared to talk well, about. Well, there's some things I just can't talk about, but I will definitely sure. talk about this. Uh we have been for the past couple of years working really hard on a gravel bike. Hmm. And the gravel bike was meant to come out um actually this month. We were going to showcase it at uh, Dirty Kansas. Okay. Uh, and obviously that got postponed to September 10th, which, um, which I'm actually doing. My team is asking me to do it. So oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. September That's definitely 10th is, a bucket, bucket uh, list kind of race. You it? know, it's 200 miles of intense graveling with a lot of elevation <laughs> yeah. and I have done zero minutes of graveling. I've never been on a gravel bike. <laughs> uh, I, um, I've done 200 miles, but you know, not on gravel and not with that kind of elevation. So it'll be really, really interesting. But uh, yes. You're kind of getting elevation training right now. I mean, if you're coming right from Miami, that would be killer. That's but. true. That's true. No, I'm excited. Look, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, that's going to be exciting. Again, it's on September 10th, which is my 40th birthday. So oh, I was cool. just like, yeah, it just it felt like the right thing to do is, is to go out and do it. But we'll be showcasing our gravel bike there. So, and I'll be training on our gravel bike this whole summer. So how is our gravel bike going to differ uh, from others? Um, well, the technology that we have developed 
in the manufacturing side of the NS1 and the Ventum 1 is going into the gravel bike. The gravel segment is one of the fastest growing segments uh, in the cycling industry. And sure. it's, yeah, yeah. And it's still the wild, wild west. Um, it's kind of, uh, it, there's no standard yet, both on the, on, on the manufacturing side and on the specking side. And we're coming in, you know, funny, like our factory said, this is overkill. Like our factory fought us back because like, this is not what you do with gravel bikes. You don't need all this technology. You don't need it to be lightweight. You don't need it to be aerodynamic. And so they were actually discouraging us from using these expensive, uh, manufacturing techniques and just go the traditional routes because it's just not necessary. But we mm. beg to differ, right? I mean, we're never going to come out with a product just to come out with a product. Oh, we need a mountain bike. So here it is. Cool. Enjoy. It's, there's got to be a need and a reason why we're doing things. And when it comes to the gravel, again, weight does matter. Aerodynamics does matter. Sure. Think about it. You know, think about you know these guys like Ted King who are going out and doing these hundred plus mile races. They're off the front. Well, if you're off the front, aerodynamics is going to play a huge role. So, you know, again, um, it's going to have a lot of – once you see the gravel bike, which is, by the way, it's called the GS1, you will see – you'll know that it is the brother or the sister of the NS1. It, it shares mm -hmm. a lot of the same characteristics. It is completely fully integrated, so you have zero cables showing. Uh, it is super aerodynamic. And it's going to be lighter than any probably gravel bike out there. So, and again, with the graphene, it's going to be super stiff. Um, so it, it's definitely going to be a product head and shoulders above anything that I've seen. So, D, I have a, I have a, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I have no, a question no, no. about um, like the the place in the in the market for that bike because we've seen. I follow you know uh, Nathan Killam, who obviously rides your bikes, and uh, who's absolutely he's been putting, insane. <laughs> he, he's he's insane. So he's he's maybe a little bit of an outlier, but he's been uh, he's been doing some pretty gnarly stuff on the NS one. Oh yeah, and uh, with with the tire clearance on that bike, which I think around 30, 30 yep. millimeters. Yeah. Yeah, so with the tire clearance on that one, you could you could argue that you could do a lot of graveling on the NS one. So my oh, question absolutely. is, what's the what's the thinking behind making a, a very specific gravel rig when you already have something that can do some of that job? No, that's a really good question. Well, because you never want to be a, a jack of all trade. We make very okay, specific fair. products. Now, the the beauty about the NS one, as you mentioned, is has big tire clearance, and that was actually because of aerodynamics more than anything else. But like. Our guys put 650s mm -hmm. on there, and they go, they go, you know, they go nuts on it. It is, it will do gravel, it will do dirt, and the reason we wanted to show people that it, you know we could do dirt is to show how tough it is, right? But it is definitely yeah. a pure road racing machine. But you brought up Nathan Killam. I mean, I've seen him take like a <laughs> two and a half foot jump in the air on a mountain. And land on that thing, and I'm like, wow! And and and, and luckily, nothing happened. You know, shows you how durable maybe the frame is. <laughs> I've seen him do some crazy stuff, but at the end of the day, it is a road racing machine, and that's what we, you know, we we intended it to be. Uh, this gravel bike is going to be obviously very specific to graveling and light mountain biking as well. Um, so that will be the difference. So this is Dia saying, don't do what Nathan Killam does on his, on your <laughs> uh, NS1 at you know, home, folks. It, it, it's funny. Like I've been trying myself and I, I like, I think I'm getting like so much air and I had like <laughs> some people like film me and I swear to you in the moment, I'm like, I did it. And I look back at my film and like the rear wheel isn't even off the air. It isn't even <laughs> off the, the ground. It's literally, I may have gotten like three inches from the, you know, on, on the front wheel and that's it. So how he does that is, is, is mind blowing. It really is. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no. So the gravel bike is going to be very exciting. And, uh, I, there's an internal, you know, struggle because of this whole COVID-19, like, you know, when is the right time to bring this bike out? And, and my take, it's, it's going to be this summer. My take it's going to be July, August. Uh, you're already going to start seeing them. I mean, we you know we ride them, we have fun with them. So uh, at this point, and in this kind of let's call it this the new era in this world, I don't think we can afford to wait for an event to uh, you know to display a bike and to introduce a bike and to launch a bike. So. Um, yeah, well, my I would gut, say this summer. Yeah, my gut feeling is is that you're spot on because I think that 
people are, you know, have been cooped up inside and some of us have been riding and some of us have not. I mean, it's in, in Canada and in, in Ontario, our, our, our spring has been really weird. It got super warm, but then it got cold again. April was really cold and it's finally yeah. getting like nice enough for everyone to ride out right now. Um, and I think people are, are really itching to get going. And plus, because, um, you know, certainly the, uh, the economy has taken a hit and people, you know, people have lost jobs and bad things have happened. But for those people who, who are still working, I, I suspect that they're looking to spend some money because they're, you know, their their race fees or they're not paying race fees because there are no races, they're not traveling. So the people that do have, you know, the, the kind of money to spend on these bikes that would typically spend on them, I think still have that, still have those funds. So my gut is that releasing it now is, is probably a, a good call. Yeah, I, and I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. I and again, I mean, I mean, look, we we're being that direct consumer brand, and and I thought, you know, when this whole thing hit and everybody was shutting down, I I got very very worried, right? And so did our investors, and so did pretty much everybody. And mm-hmm. it just hasn't been as bad as we thought. So we're yeah, again, knock on wood. So you know, with that logic, I think releasing a uh, a gravel bike uh, this summer makes perfect perfect sense. You know. I think people are looking for good news too, you know, like people are, what we were talking about earlier, people want to see stuff happening and, 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 you know, exciting, exciting developments on the horizon. So I think that's a, it's a smart play from that perspective too. And they just want to feel, no, you're right. they want to feel normal as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you guys this, uh, we are actually putting on our own gravel race. There's a 40 mile race and an 80 mile race and it's slated for end of August and you know, right now the city has not shut us down. So huh. as of today's recording, we are still having this gravel race, which starts and ends at our HQ in Utah. And it's just a gnarly gravel race. And it's going to be followed by food trucks and concerts and everything, um, which is interesting because as, as far as I know, this could be literally the season opener for gravel, right? Because I think everything else has been canceled. So if we get away with it, um, you know, speaking of good news is, yeah, we could be the first gravel race on the on the calendar. Well, let me say year. that um, currently I'm signed up for Ironman Canada, which is the end of August, uh-huh. but no idea if that's going to happen. If that doesn't, um, I'm going to do my best to make it down there. Uh, you should. Yeah, you if they totally allow should. travel, yeah. Although BC is, uh, I just read this morning that the British Columbia is relaxing some, starting to relax restrictions, and uh, they're probably doing the best out of all the big Canadian provinces, the populous provinces. And uh, you, there's, there's, I think there's a slim chance, Andrew, that uh, Ironman Canada may be a thing yet. And I'm still banking on that for my one chance of qualifying for Kona, where there's extra spots, <laughs> yeah, extra spots available. Yeah. So that's the only yeah. way I'll make it in. Are they are they doing VRs? Are VRs allowed? Uh, are they allocated any Kona spots or not? No. I, yeah, I think that'd be a tough sell because it's no. There's so, so much cheating in VR yeah. racing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, they could never do it. They would have they would have a revolt on their hands. If yeah, they did that's that. such a well, good point because you can change your I mean, weight and. Yeah, anything. Look at, look at regular cheap. triathlon. Yeah. It's, there's probably a lot more people cheating out there than you expect, anyway. So yeah, give them the opportunity behind closed doors. Huh. Well, speaking of VR, uh, well, I'll say this. So I got a call from Ironman, and they're going to put me up against the pros on, I believe, May twenty oh, fourth. No. Yeah, I am literally going to get annihilated. <laughs> like it's not you even better, you better start you better start doing some pedaling dude, dude I, I literally have i there's <laughs> nothing i can do from here <laughs> till yeah. may 24th to even like and, and the sad thing is it's going to be viewed by like tens if not hundreds of thousands of people and like so i was telling iron man i was like look let's can i just bring in like a comedic aspect to it and not a competitive <laughs> aspect to it because i am just gonna get slaughtered i mean like these guys can hold wattage per kilo that I, I I can even dream of. So yep. yeah, well, that's I guess what it takes to be a pro. But uh, right, you know, right. flipping the coin, they probably couldn't do. At least most of them couldn't do what you do either. So you know what? I, I will make sure I remind them of that every chance <laughs> I get. <laughs> so you touched on Ironman a bit there, um, and I would say that uh, you know you've had a, a pretty successful partnership with Ironman, at least from an outsider's perspective. So the last couple of years, you've been the official bike course sponsor. And yeah. I'm sure that has really increased visibility because every time I watch one of these races that are now broadcast on Facebook, um, it's always the the Ventum Bike Course, and yeah. you know your name is everywhere. It's it's been an incredible partnership. You know, it, it started in 2016 where we only sponsored Kona, 
and then quickly grew to become the first ever um, official bike sponsor globally of Ironman. So any country, anywhere. And that really came at such a critical time because we were a small company. We still are a small company, right? We're not, we're not the billion and a half company, uh, dollar companies like Trek and whatnot, but, um, it allowed us to reach markets that we would never reach at such an early stage, right? We, we were getting calls from Indonesia and Malaysia of people hearing about Ventum and wanting to buy Ventums. And that's directly as a result of having Ironman as kind of this marketing arm in these countries, right? That we couldn't even dream of. We didn't have the, 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 the manpower to do that. So early on, that really helped spread the word. The, word. the other advantage really... Um, is it, it solidified, it gave us so much credibility, right? And, and, and it allowed people to see the product in a different way. Um, so critical, critical things happened early on with Ironman. In addition, um, I'm sure you know, some people have mixed reviews or mixed feelings about Ironman. They are by far the best partner we've ever had. And I, and I really mean it. And they have been so supportive. They go above and beyond any contract we've ever had, um, you know, from Andrew Messick to Matthew Van Veen to Jen Marciano, they, all their execs get involved and are willing to help, including right now, right? Including right now in this unprecedented time, you know, they're finding creative ways to help us. So it, I, I can't speak more highly and, and our partnership is going to go on for a while. I mean, we're, we're, we're on for another few years anyway. So um, yeah, I couldn't be any happier. I, I think they're doing some great things. I think uh, just like any big organization, you're going to have pluses and minuses. You're going to have supporters and critics. Uh, but overall, I think the strategy has been, has been fantastic. Um, so yeah, yeah, very, very, very happy. And I do know that just looking around, I've seen a lot more Ventums in the last couple of years. So I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be working pretty well, both in terms of visibility and just the the total number of sales. But yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, look and look, Iron Man's definitely part of that equation. I wouldn't say it's the entire equation, but it's definitely part of that equation. Uh, it's one of our you know our weapons. But yeah, we grow we grow forty to fifty percent year over year every year. Wow. Yeah. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. One of the really cool things is the community that you get around the bikes as well, because they are so different. Every time I've been to a race, anyone else who has a Ventum, uh, they'll come up and just start talking to me. And Absolutely. I can't imagine that happening with any other company, really. It's, it's well, just so unique and so um, it brings people together. Yeah, and that comes from a couple of things. Like you said, the unique product, but it's also a bit of the culture that we instill. You know, You may have heard me say this before. But I start all our hands on all hands on deck meetings the same way. Say welcome to Tuesday morning 10 a.m. meeting. I want to remind everyone here, we are not a bike company that has a customer service department. We're a customer service company that happens to be selling bikes today. I start that every single meeting because that's what I truly, truly believe in. And that customer service creates that, that community. We're selling Ferraris. The equivalent of Ferraris. There, are, I can buy a, a, a fully loaded, you know, car uh, from Hyundai for the price of our top end bikes, right? Yep. So we got to remember that. So when and 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 I hope none of the independent bike shops get mad at me for saying this because there are some fantastic IBSs, right? There, uh, there, there are some incredible ones, but there are some that are less than incredible. And so all of a sudden, your experience, depending on where you go, could be vastly different. And that's going to be reflected on the brand, not on the store. In addition, a lot of people try to cut costs. So what do you do? You hire part-time help. You hire college students in the summer. And so you're going in to spend $16,000 on a super bike. And you have somebody maybe who's a bit less informed on the bike telling you about it. Uh, The experience has to match the product. And so being direct consumer and focusing so hard on customer service and the customer experience is critical. And I think that's what really separates us from other brands. That's amazing advice, actually, for, for anyone who's doing a startup of, of high-end stuff. That's great. Good. Well, I think anyone doing a startup in general, that's good advice. Um, great leadership, uh, just taking that, um, that approach of just putting the customer first. And I know even with Stack, um, like we didn't have the, you know, the equivalent um, market 
level that we were selling to. We were kind of low to mid range, um, but we always tried to put this extra effort into keeping customers happy. And it goes to show because um, when you have this effort, someone who's initially maybe upset, once you solve their problem, they become your biggest advocate. Absolutely. And you can't, like you literally can't buy that kind of publicity. Um, so it's it's so nice to have customers who truly believe in the brand and who truly support it. And definitely your approach to handling that is, I think, bang on. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, uh, anyone who's, uh, who's interested in starting a startup, think twice. That's what I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of people, you know, especially because I think I'm such an annoyingly positive person, a lot of people think it's a cakewalk. And, uh, you know, I... I can tell you that this is hands down and by far the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And it has come as such a you know, financial toll, a personal life toll, a emotional toll. And I think the people that are closest to me can, can attest to that. Um, you know, this stuff is not easy, right? This stuff is not easy. Uh, you know, Besides dealing with all the everyday startup things, then all of a sudden you have a world pandemic that you have to deal with, or you've got you've got things. It's a roller coaster, and, and especially early on, very small things can sink you, right? So um, yeah, yeah, it's a, you know somebody should do a podcast about the the mental health of startup CEOs. I think that would be fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm sure there's some journal articles about uh, the degradation of mental health oh my for, God. for startup yeah. CEOs out there. I'll tell you, my exec team doubles up as their day job and my psychiatrist, honestly. You know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to say it. So. Well, I remember, uh, I think when we saw each other in Kona last time, you had mentioned I hadn't gained enough weight to be really that successful That's, in the startup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I used to always say that, like, you know, like the fatter I am, probably the better or the more I'm working, right? Uh, which I guess I'm pretty fit right now, but I swear I'm still working really, really hard. No, it's just, it's, it's sometimes I think it's important for people to understand that there's people behind these brands that are literally killing themselves, right? And to to make this a success, that it's not as easy as one might think. And that there's a huge, huge, I mean, you know, I self-funded this project until we raised some PE money last year private equity money. And that's one of the reasons why we... Oh, wow. You were you were self-funded for that yeah, long? Yeah. So self-funded from 14 to to 19. So five years. Amazing. Yeah, to the tune of very... <laughs> I won't say the number, but, <laughs> you know, and so when, when 95% of my net worth is in this business uh, and, you know, we're having cash flow issues and, you know, the I'm working 16 to 18 hour days and... It's taken a personal toll where, in, in fact, it, co- it cost me my last relationship, right? I was in a relationship with mm-hmm. Leanne Cave for almost eight years. And, I mean, if in one word, Ventum is the reason we're no longer together, right? I mean, she was writing for us. Um, and she was my psychiatrist, my punching bag, my, my confidant, my everything, right? And that's all we did. It's Ventum, 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 Ventum. And at some point, like, you're going to crack. Um, so... I don't know. I just think it's important for people to understand like the level of sacrifice. So when you have all this stuff, right, and you jump on like a forum, like say Slow Twitch or, you know, I don't know, like Pathetic Try or whatever, any forum you can think of, and somebody just like knocks you down, like there's no reason, right? He's like, oh, the bike sucks. I think it's an open mold from China. Uh, they're, they don't know what they're like, you know, it's very, very, like you have to have a very, very thick skin, especially early on to be able to make sure that you don't take criticism um, at a personal level. Yeah. But given what I just gave you, right, given the summary I just gave you of, of some, and I am just giving, I'm scratching the surface of some of the roller coasters and the emotional costs that this, this is, uh, you know, that I've endured. It's very, very hard not to have a reaction to that. Does that make sense when somebody says that, oh, given everything, yeah. you know, you've, you've done? So. Yeah, it's like it's like somebody criticizing your child, right. right? I mean, it's it's the same. I'm I'm a dad of two young boys, and it's kind of the same. I I I, I think I appreciate it on that. Yeah, level. actually, you know what? That's that's such a good example. Yeah, you're killing yourself right now. You're homeschooling them. You fed them. You've changed them. You're doing your best, and then somebody comes in like, oh yeah, that would that would kill me. I get it. 
Yeah, I was uh I was on uh I was on a bike path. This was just before the like we had the the big flare up of of COVID and there were still lots of people out and I was on a bike path and I was um towing the two of them in a trailer behind my bike and there was a woman who was I don't know maybe in her 20s or something and then she she we were you know she it it was a narrow path and I couldn't really get out of her way and so and then she she like swore at me for not getting out of her way and then she called me a terrible father oh. and I almost like got off that bike and punched her. I, I was <laughs> Because it was it was already when the schools were yeah. closed and and I was like you know uh, we're both my wife and I work and uh, yeah it's it's been it's been interesting and so when she said that I've been like oh, oh you know she said I feel bad for your kids oh. and I was like I'm gonna I know I I it took everything in me to just not you know not lose my shit that's at that point. ridiculous like I, yeah no yeah. I, that that hits so hard you know that's it's so. <laughs> So it's probably similar yes. to yeah, where you experience when somebody pans your products that you've been like bleeding yes, and, and crying because my uh, ventum is my son, my daughter, and my pet. So yes, for very sure, very much so. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, and I I know exactly what you're saying. Maybe not the children side of things, Michael. I can't quite relate on that, but uh, yeah, when someone goes on slow twitch and and complains about you know your product, it's very personal, and you're putting everything into it, and like literally blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes all at the same time, but, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, Andrew, like, I mean, criticism is important. Constructive criticism. Do you know, we yes. log every single, cause look, our product isn't perfect. I'd be lying to you if I said it was right. Like every, there's, there's always improvements to be made. Right. And, and what we do though, is you got to listen to your customers. And so we log every single criticism and then we identify trends, Right. And once we have kind of a, again critical mass on a certain issue, then it becomes addressed at the next iteration or immediately if we can fix it, obviously. Um, and and so that's really important. Like I would never shut off, and I welcome anyone to give me criticism at any time. It's the outliers that I really don't like to listen to, right? Like anybody who's just going to say like "f you" or "you suck" or whatever, and that those are the ones that obviously we don't record and we don't really care about. Uh, but you know, every single constructive criticism gets either addressed immediately or will be taken into consideration in the next iteration of a bike. So that that's crucial, you know? So hmm. I think we could probably condense this episode and sell it as some kind of startup <laughs> that's not where that's not where we uh we set out to do but that's what it ended up being and that's great that's one of the kind of the joys of uh of having these open format interviews oh i, I love these kind of interviews because you have to have a holistic approach to the business right if we sat here and just talked about the technical side of things i think some people would really enjoy it some would probably enjoy it a little bit less but that's just one side of it right yeah, there's there's so many. You got to look at the business side. You got to look at the human side, the personal side. You got to look at, you know, when you have that full picture. I think I, I think people enjoy it, right? Uh, I think some mm -hmm. people out there might enjoy the maybe not enjoy that I'm killing myself slowly, but like you know appreciate that that it's not a cakewalk, right? And appreciate that we're being real. You know, I mean, I could come on here and just tell you guys everything's fantastic. This is so great. My dream come true. <laughs> you know, I sleep like a baby at night. You know, I'm, but that's that's not the reality, right? The reality is it's tremendous joy in doing what I do. There's tremendous stress and pain and sadness, uh, you know, as well. And uh, it, it doesn't outweigh the joy. I'll tell you that, or else I wouldn't be talking with you guys today. Uh, the joy of seeing people, nothing makes me prouder of my team, myself, and happier than when I see either a Ventum bike or apparel or whatnot outside of an Ironman, of a road race, or of anything. Uh, I'm talking like I am in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm driving to a funeral. This is a true story. And I'm a red light, and all of a sudden, a Ventum won. Some guy training on it comes right next to me. Like that is an awesome feeling. Another time at an airport, not leaving Ironman, you know, Costa Rica or whatever. No, no, no. Just like a random trip. It's either LaGuardia or JFK. And some guy on my flight had a Ventum hat on, right? And, I, and it was not nowhere near a triathlon. It wasn't Lake Placid or anything. Those are the times like, okay, we've done something. We've done something that we build a community. We have a product that people believe in. And those little moments of joy will outweigh any any difficult situation, however difficult it is. 
And I know every time I talk to you, you have this incredible energy and I can tell that you absolutely love what you do. And yeah, I know it's not always perfect, but uh, the way it comes across from you, it's just, it's a labor of love and the passion and the excitement that, uh, that you always portray is phenomenal. And it's, it's inspiring really. So I, I just enjoy talking to you in general. Oh, it's, thank uh, you. Thank you. you. You guys want to do this, uh, make it a weekly thing. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> I'll record you know, the intro. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> yes, let, let's keep that, that that trend going. But I was going to echo Andrew. I, uh, you know, we've had, we've actually been making this podcast. The first one, I was just Andrew. I was looking the stat up because you mentioned it on a, on a chat. Was uh, May nineteenth of last year. So we're coming up on our on our one year anniversary, and we've had some really amazing guests on the show. And we've and sometimes Andrew and I idea. Sometimes we'll just do our own thing. We'll talk about something that we've been thinking about. Um, but we've learned, I've learned a ton of stuff from people, but I have to say that in terms of just like the kind of the, the visceral positive reaction that I've had to talking to people on the show, I think this is probably my, my top one or two. So thanks for, well, thanks thank for that, you Matt. so much. That's, that's of course, guys, thank you. Thank you both for, for having me on. It, it, it truly is a pleasure. And I, I always love to talk about, uh, about these things. It's, it's easy to easy to be positive and it's easy for it to come out. So and, thank you. And now I'm that much more motivated to, to get a, a Ventum bike because I kind of have a feel, <laughs> I feel like it. I understand I, more I, of the story. And I was talking to Andrew before, cause I didn't realize you had an NS1 man, but uh, I've been following, like, obviously I've been following Cody and, and Nathan and uh, seeing what they can do with that bike. I'm like, Oh, that bike would be perfect <laughs> for what I want to oh, do. Yeah. I know someone who can hook you up. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. So the, the biggest problem I've had is uh, I picked it up at the end of October in Kona. Um, don't tell Canada Customs, but um, I, I picked it up in Kona and it's been winter here uh, ever since. Like it literally snowed yesterday morning. So, and you got to get some studded tires on that thing, man. Just keep yeah, it clean. <laughs> There, there's enough yes, clearance for it that's my goal um, and actually uh, you can even DIY some of that stuff there's a guy out of Calgary who writes a really good blog about winter commuting and he's he has like good tips for for putting you know just DIY studs into old tires for for winter stuff I will definitely have to look into that huh. but uh, no I do love the bike so far I'm actually going to be heading to Vernon for some riding with a friend over the next couple of days so out oh, to the mountains and enjoy that quite a bit um so I'm just I'm looking forward to getting back on the road on the, on both Ventums um, and then yes yeah, absolutely some and then uh, you know you've created a big problem for me with this new bike coming out um, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to do some oh. soul searching and bank account searching but uh, I'm very excited uh, it, it, do you know we have financing <laughs> we just actually. Uh, Oh, this is oh my don't, next plug. Don't tell this me these happening. things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My next plug. We last week just finalized our deal um, to provide financing in Canada because right now we've only been had financing in uh, in the U.S. And so now you can uh, finance the bike. So it's really going to be very affordable. Andrew. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, that puts me in a tough spot then. Uh, very excited though. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to when it comes out. And uh, and once again, like Michael said, this has been one of the most enjoyable interviews I think we've done in a long time. Um, definitely in, in the top well, thank three. Thank you both. I really appreciate uh, it. Thank you. Yeah, is there anything else that uh, that you wanted to say, kind of before we close things off? Yeah, let us let let folks know where they where they can find you. I mean, what uh, what are your preferred social channels? And obviously, we'll link to the website, but we'll uh, we'll throw up you know the social uh, media accounts for for Ventum and for yourself if you're cool with that. Sure, um, VentumRacing.com is the website. At Ventum Racing is our Instagram handle. I'm Dia Ten D I A A One Zero Dia Ten. And yeah, I am actually very uh, responsive on social media, I've been told. So I, um, yeah, if you want to ask me any question, DM me, follow me, I will, uh, I will get back to you. I'm also doing a lot of CEO challenges 
which I think we alluded to earlier, and I think some of you have seen them, and they'll continue to happen. Or, you know, we just finished CEO challenge number two, and essentially the point is to get people out, well, if you can go out, if not stay in, but get people active, get people through this, and all of it has, you know, an element of charity to it, and it's completely free. Uh, it's really just spent them actually making uh, a charitable donation uh, on your behalf. So cool. yeah, if you follow me, you'll, you'll be able to learn all about it. Um, other than that, that, that's that's really it. You know, everybody go out and buy a Vento. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank it's- you both so, so very much. Guys, this has been great. Honestly, anytime you want me to do anything, even as like a cameo or weigh in on something like bar tape, Cody's wrong. Oh, no, no. You just went down a couple of notches in the, in the esteem there. <laughs> no, clean I tops, love the bar tops. tape. I know, but I love it because I, I get to rest. It's so comfortable. It's I get man. to rest my forearms on there and not slip. It's true. Uh, but it's true. It's less yeah. hard than him. He's right. That problem is right. <laughs> but I'm not going pro, so. <laughs> Anyways.